Welcome to the Authentic Church Podcast with Jeff and Fawn Peterson in Orange County, California, where our mission is simply to love God, love people, and live authentic. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com. Thank you for listening. My name is uh, Jeff Peterson. For those of you who don't know me, my wife who just was up here, uh, her and I are honored to be the founding lead pastors of Authentic Church. Uh, we moved here from the state of Texas two, a little over two years ago uh, to plant uh, Authentic Church. We had a burden, call of God, and we felt like God was telling us to go and leave Texas and come to California. So we were the only humans in the last two years that migrated from Texas to California. So if you've been looking for a unicorn, you found one, and uh, we're so glad that we found you. Uh, but uh, we're glad to have you here. Some of you know we were out on vacation last week, and uh, I just wanted to say thank you for allowing us that time away. Thank you to all the leaders that made uh, Sunday morning happen without us. Uh, we were so blessed. Uh, Nicole Edgmond preached an incredible message on, on hope and real soul care. And if you didn't hear the message or watch the message, it is on YouTube or on podcasts. I highly encourage you to download it, watch it. And one of the reasons is, is one of the values of Authentic Church, if, you, if you've looked over our culture card, which by the way, these are open, you can grab them at the connect table, but on our culture card, one of our cultural values is health. Uh, because the best, the best version of me I can give you is a healthy me. The best thing I can do for you is to be healthy for me. The best thing you can do for the rest of us is to be a healthy you. And Nicole's message just knocked it out of the park. So I'd encourage you uh, to watch that. If you need some more hope in your life, uh, it's a great message. Happy Independence Day. Uh, today, uh, to, tomorrow, we'll be celebrating 4th of July. It is the 246th birthday of our incredible nation. A nation that was founded by uh, people with a pioneering spirit, right? And they did their best to live pretty peaceably with Great Britain for about 150 years, but Great Britain just kept encroaching. They kept overstepping. Their government overreach was too much. Their taxes were too much. What they wanted to do in controlling the, our lives was too much. So at some point, the, we didn't go fighting, but the fight came to our doorstep, and the American people decided to fight, and they won, and you and I get to celebrate that freedom today. So 246 years later, how many know the fight rages on? <laughs> It's a good reminder that any ground that you take for the sake of freedom, you're going to have to fight to protect. No matter what that is in your life, any, any freedom that you take in your life, if you're talking freedom in your finances, your purity, your holiness, etc., you're going to have to fight to protect that. And a word that God gave us for 2022 was the word redeem. Redeem. It's a word that we'd been doing our best to steward over. And, uh, and the Lord gave us a few scriptures to back up this word that he, he gave to us. And I had no idea how prophetic it would be for this year. In Isaiah 54, 1 through 3, this was one of the scriptures the Lord gave us. It says this, sing barren woman who has never had a baby. Fill the air with song, you who've never experienced childbirth. You're ending up with far more children than those childbearing women. God says so. So clear lots of ground for your tents, make your tents large, spread out, think big, use plenty of rope, drive the tent pegs deep, you're going to need lots of elbow room for your growing family. You know, we, uh, we turned our phones off when we were on vacation, completely on airplane mode for over a week, 
That's heaven, people. I highly recommend it. I had never done that before for a full week for myself. And so here we are. We're having it, but we only took the phone out of the safe, basically, to go ahead and take pictures and videos of the kids, you know. And so we, we just had a blast. When we get back into town and we turn our phones on and we're looking at all these messages that are coming in, and there were some pretty big announcements that happened in the world while we were away. Some big announcements that happened. One of the announcements was we saw uh, some gun laws protected at the Supreme Court level, uh, which, uh, by the way, this isn't political. This isn't Democrat or Republican. This is a, from a standpoint of defending the Constitution of the United States of America in which we're allowed to bear arms. And it's interesting that the same people that wanted to confiscate our guns were the same people that took $40 billion of taxpayer monies to give Ukraine some because they didn't have any. So I don't know, just the thought. We also saw a case of a gentleman named Coach Kennedy. He was a football coach in why, yeah. Coach Kennedy was a football coach in Washington State, where I'm from originally. And in uh, and, and his, his practice, he was, a, he was a war veteran, and his practice was at the end of every single game, win or loss, he would go to the 50-yard line, and he would take a knee, and he would thank Almighty God for the opportunity to represent him, and he hoped he did it well, and he would say a prayer, and then he would get up and go into the locker room with the guys. Well, the school board said, you can't do that. Um, that, that you're, you're, you're not allowed to go out and pray on the 50-yard line. And they said, if you do it again, you're going to go ahead and be fired. Well, he did it again, and he was fired. And that fight went all the way up to the Supreme Court for the last eight years. It's been bounced around in different courts, made it all the way up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says this is a violation of his First Amendment rights, so we're going to overturn that. And that one was especially kind of close to me because... When all of that stuff hit the fan, there was, there's a law firm called First Liberty, and they work pro bono to defend religious liberties. And when I heard about that case eight years ago, Fawn and I sowed a seed to Kelly Shackelford, the, uh, the attorney for uh, Coach Kennedy. And we sowed a seed into the ministry. And so here we are eight years later, and we saw the fruit of a seed we sowed financially back then, which was just awesome. So that was cool. But as we read through the rulings, there was none... As big, none as great a victory as that as Roe v. Wade overturned. And I'm going to read something that I prepared for you today, if you'll just allow me to look at my notes here for a moment. But one, a little over a week ago, the 50-year war against abortion was given a critical victory. For 50 years, devout Christian men and women stood against abortion on the basis that all life was valuable and sacred to God. For 50 years, they fought and some were even fired from their jobs, ignored by politicians, arrested for protests, and many of them were ostracized from their elite social circles simply because they believed in pro-life. For 50 years, men, women, and children stood in the gap, many of whom died without ever seeing the impact of their actions. They have been a voice to the voiceless. Their legacy, legacy should remind us all to never, ever compromise. Chesterton once wrote, right is right even if nobody does it. Wrong is wrong even if everybody's wrongdoing of it. And that conviction of eternal truth is what motivated the anti-abortion movement through five decades of defeat after defeat. Truth does not change with the law. Truth does not change with the opinion of the courts. Truth does not change because truth is eternal. And all truth comes from God and God is eternal. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the truth. 
Never compromise the truth. When we compromise the truth, we blaspheme God and we deny Christ. For this victory of life, we thank Almighty God. This is not a political issue. The same people that asked you to follow the science during the pandemic are the same ones ignoring the science that life begins at conception. The month of June will no longer be known as Pride Month, but as Life Month. There are many things that the Word of God is very clear on, and one of them in particular is the sanctity of human life from conception. Psalms 139 reminds us and speaks of this. It says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, made, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, please note that I share this with the utmost conviction, but I do so with compassion. Some of you know my story, but I was 19 years old dating a girl, and she came to me one day, and she said, surprise, we're pregnant. And at that moment, as a scared 19-year-old boy, the thought went through my head, I think we should just have an abortion. This is a massive inconvenience. This is a huge embarrassment. I'm the oldest in my family. I grew up Catholic, for goodness sake, okay? And I, I, we, I don't know if I can have a child outside of wedlock. This is not good for me. And we talked about it and discussed, and we made the decision to go ahead and have that baby. And I'm so grateful that we did. My daughter's 25 years old. She is married. She's got two beautiful babies. I have grandbabies, y'all. So I am grateful that I did not make a decision when I was young out of fear that would have cost me joy when I was old. But true compassion should show itself in our convictions. And I can relate. I can understand. I've been there. But there are a rise of people in the world that are saying, I'll adopt I'll take in a child. I'll help out where I can help out. The problem we have in our country, though, is that the average price of a U.S. adoption is $70,000. Here they make it very easy to get rid of a baby, but they don't make it very easy when you want to adopt a baby. But I was so proud of a story that I heard of a, a company back in South Lake, Texas, where my wife and I actually used to live when we lived in Texas. And there's an insurance company there. And in response to the Roe v. Wade and a lot of the abortion tourism that they anticipate that is going to start happening, this company said, hey, you know what? We're going to pony up actually more money for uh, families that are expanding. We're actually going to give more maternity leave. We're actually going to increase our paternity leave for the, for the fathers. And you know what? We're actually going to give monies to those that can't have kids, but they want to adopt, we're going to help them with the costs associated with the adoption process. How many know we need more companies that take that stance? Amen? <laughs> Psalms 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They're a gift. No matter how they were conceived, they're a gift from the Lord. And last month, we had the honor of celebrating two brand new little babies that were born into this house at Authentic Church. We had a baby, Lucas Daniel Ulmer, that was born to Paul and Kelsey. God bless you guys. And then we had, and then we had last week, we had Liliana Joy Fair come into the world, <laughs> blessing Josh and Sharon. And let me just say this. If you're here today and if you've had an abortion or you've thought of having an abortion, I just want to let you know, uh, number one, your baby's in heaven with Jesus. Your baby, in that moment, was put into the arms of Jesus, okay? 
And if you've placed your hope and trust in Jesus, you're gonna be with that baby again one day, mom and you, you're gonna be reunited with that child, all right? And, and, and you're not measured by what you did, but you're measured by what Christ did, okay? So if you've struggled with guilt or shame because of that moment that you made in fear, trust me, I understand what it is to be scared and young in a situation like that. If you did, I just wanna remind you today, Jesus, he sees you through his lens. Like when we took communion together, he sees you through his lens. He doesn't see you that way. He sees you whole and made new, and he's holding your baby up there waiting for you, and one day you'll be reunited. Amen? Amen. But this moment that we're having in our culture, it's, it's a bit of a defining moment, right? It's, it's what some would call the separating of the sheep and the goats. And some hear that saying and they're like, where does that come from? It comes from a saying from Jesus in Matthew 25, 31 through 33. It says this, Jesus is talking and he said, hey, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats he's going to throw to the left. Let me just say this. If you have a, a favorite pastor, political Christian leader, conservative, quote-unquote, and they can't make a statement about one of the biggest victories for human life in our generation, I would encourage you to go find some new leaders to look up to. We need people who will take a stand. And, and, and one day, abortion might be as unpopular as racism or slavery was, but at one point, those topics were not unpopular. At one point, those topics were so dividing. Now it's like you would be a fool to be racist. You would be a fool to promote slavery. One day, I believe, you'll be a fool to believe that murder is okay. It's time for the church of God to take a stand, and Jesus is coming for a bride that is white-hot, passionate, on fire for him. He's not coming for a bride that's lukewarm, that is going to go ahead and, 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 and belittle different things. No, this is a massive victory for the kingdom of heaven. Millions of babies have been saved just in the last few weeks. Millions. Just think about that. Praise God. Well, today, the title of my message is Let Freedom Ring. And we're going to pray, and then we're going to jump into the Word of God. Amen? God, we just thank you. We just give you praise. God, I thank you so much for righteousness ruling in the land. I thank you, Lord God, for just laws that have been given. I thank you, Lord God, for freedom. I thank you, Lord God, that we could have been born at any time and in any place, but you chose for us to be born in the United States of America. You chose for us to live in this time and live in this land. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time that we have together. Bless this word, oh God, as I share it, Lord God. I pray that you would bless the communicator today. Help me to speak your words, not mine. I pray, Father, that you would teach, instruct, give us hope. I pray that you would challenge correct us in areas that we need to be challenged in. I pray that you'd give us hearts to understand and believe you at your word. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. For the context of this, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is giving his infamous Sermon on the Mount. 
Um, he's sitting there with a bunch of his followers, and he's sharing with them all these different aspects of living, uh, giving to the needy, helping the poor. He's sharing what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he's trying to help them connect the dots in different areas. And then he, he, he ends this, this, this incredible sermon, and he, he says this in verse 24. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell, and great was the fall. So here Jesus is, he's talking, and he says, hey, when you build on the rock, uh, you're actually wise. When you don't build on what I say, uh, you're a fool. I mean, that's, Jesus is just like, boom, hit you between the eyes. You know, it's like, what's right is right, what's wrong is wrong, hit you between the eyes. This is wisdom, this is foolish. And as many of you know, uh, I'm a bit of a history buff. I love history, especially when, as it pertains to uh, like U.S. history. I love it. Global world history. I, I love reading about it. And the United States of America was founded as a Christian nation. You have to know that. It was not founded by a few people. It wasn't just some mishap or a happy accident. It was actually founded by Christians based on Christian principles. And it's important to know that because whatever you are founded on, you'll need to be maintained by. Let me say that again. Whatever you are founded on, you will need to be maintained by. Many of the laws that the Supreme Court and the judiciary system is called upon to uphold was actually found and based on biblical uh, precedents. It's scriptures, holy scriptures. The word of God was the framework. Whatever we were founded on, we need to be maintained by. The U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights was framed completely around the Bible. And people forget that. Our, our nation's 246 years old. And some people forget that for years it was a staple in a house that every house had a Bible. Every family would read from the Bible. Every family would go to church on Sunday. Every, every young person would be taught the Bible as a mandate in their schools. And the Bible actually was, uh, was uh, the, one of the first uh, laws that was enacted with the public school system was that the, the Bible was a required reading for every single person in the school system. Could you imagine that? And that was the, 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 the first public school law that was passed in America made the Bible required reading in every school. It wasn't until 1963 that we took the Bible out. So you're talking less than 100 years it's been gone, but for 240, actually, before America was a nation, it was used with the early settlers. It was over 320 years that the Bible was used in training and teaching and raising up our young people. As Moses said in Exodus 33, he said, your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from anything else. The early founders, the pioneers, they understood the only thing that separates America from any other nation is the presence of God. So everything about America was founded on the word of God. Believe it or not, it is true. You know, there's 193 nations, give or take whatever day it is and whatever war is going on, but there's 193 nations right now that are part of the United Nations. And we're 246 years old under a single piece of paper. 
Okay, that is very, very rare. The average lifespan of a nation or one constitution is actually 17 years. We've been a nation for 246 years. France has had 15 constitutions since we've had one. 15 revolutions, 15 constitutions. Poland has had seven. Russia has had four since 1919. Afghanistan has had five, and I'm sure there's many more to come over there. Financially speaking, we only represent 4% of the world population, yet we produce 30% of the gross domestic product. 4% produces 30% of what the world uses. That math doesn't even make sense. The reason it doesn't make sense is because our nation has been blessed by Almighty God. God's math, one plus one equals 100, okay? So we've been blessed. We are a blessed nation. The U.S. is at $20.49 trillion, the recent statistics. Everybody talks about China and how incredible they are and how are we going to keep up with them financially. Look, they're only at $13.4 trillion. I mean, it's still a lot of trillions, trust me, okay, but, but it's compared to America. Japan is at 4.97, just under five. Germany is at four trillion. America dwarfs them at 20.49. We are still the most blessed people in the world. And one of the reasons that we need godly people in politics is because political leaders create policies. Policies affect people, and people matter most. Let me say it again. Political leaders create policies. Policies affect people. People matter most. That is why we need godly people in our governments. When talking about the importance of the the Bible, President Andrew Jackson, he had this quote. He said, the Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. it, It makes us unique. It sets us apart. Teddy Roosevelt in thinking, uh, in looking at America and thinking about why we are special, he made this statement. Mind you, he made this to a bunch of attorney generals that were assembled from around the United States, and he tells them this. He says, the teachings of the Bible are so interwoven and that entwined with our civic and social life that it would be impossible for us to figure what life would be if these teachings were removed. The founding fathers had over 30 verses for the First Amendment rights. 30 verses, 30 verses of scriptures helped to make up our First Amendment rights for free speech. There were scriptures that supported the right to keep and bear arms, the Second Amendment, the sanctity of the home in the Third Amendment, of having private property in the Fifth Amendment. These were all based on scriptures that they read and found. And when you ask people who shaped America, a lot of people will say names like, you know, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Hancock, John Adams, et cetera, et cetera. But if you go back and you ask John Adams, who helped shape America, uh, John Adams was having a conversation uh, with a group of, it was the next crop of generation. I think it was a conversation he had in 1816, if I remember correctly. And he had them all gathered together, and they were asking him, they were like, John, what was it like, Mr. Adams, what was it like when you were fighting for the Revolutionary War? Who, who helped formed it? And they're asking the names of the people. You know what John Adams said? John Adams pointed to some of these people, Samuel Cooper. Dr. Reverend Samuel Cooper. He said, Jonathan Mayhew, Dr. Reverend Jonathan Mayhew. He said, Dr. George Whitfield, Charles Chauncey. These guys were pastors, reverends, spiritual leaders of their community. John Adams, one of the ones on the foremost front of the revolutionary fight, said these were the guys that helped to transfer and transform our our nation into, or transform our country into into a country. Uh, transform our country into a nation. Hello, a group of people into a people. All right, next slide. He also cited these gentlemen, 
Richard Allen, Absalom Jones, Lemuel Hayes, Harry Hoosier. These were black pastors that pastored in their communities. And these guys, all of them, I think with the exception of Lemuel Hayes, actually took up arms and fought in the Revolutionary War. And you don't hear about that. In fact, uh, Harry Hoosier, uh, that name might sound familiar for any of you like, like, like sports movies, the Hoosiers, right? Okay. Harry Hoosier was from Indiana. He was a black pastor evangelist that would travel around to all these different churches. And then as people would get saved, he would disciple him in his home. And then they would start traveling with him. And they said, oh, you're one of Hoosier's boys. And that became known as the Hoosiers. And the people of Indiana, when they're yelling, go Hoosiers, they don't even know that that's, their, that's where they got the name from. This is in our history books. So John Adams pointed to these pastors, these preachers, these leaders that helped shape our country, that were passionate about God, family, freedom, and liberty. And the challenge that we see right now in America is we have this rise of a spirit of lawlessness. There's a spirit of lawlessness, and and the reason we have a spirit of lawlessness is because we're reaping the rewards of having a fatherless generation. We have a fatherless epidemic that is global. It's not just local to America. It's global. In the, in, when dad's in the home, dad is the authority. Dad sets the authority. The sons are under the authority. If a son grows up without a dad in the home, then he doesn't understand what authority looks like. Then when he's old enough to have authority, he doesn't have the maturity to be a good steward of that authority, and he misuses and abuses the power that he has. But if he, if he has the authority of dads, he grows up, and then when he's a man, then now he's ready to have the authority because he's a man that's been under authority. And some of the lawlessness that you see, they're mere beer, boys with beards. They're like boys with mustaches. They, they're still not mature. They're, 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 they're still juvenile in their thinking. And the worst thing that you can have in leadership is somebody that's never had power and authority, that always desired power and authority, suddenly get power and authority, and then they, you know, want to be the puppeteer. But that wasn't the case with the men who founded our nation. The Declaration of Independence was the birth certificate of our nation. The principles of the Declaration that was placed uh, is what was placed into the Constitution. The Declaration, uh, it formed the body, the basis. It was the foundation for our American form of government. Uh, there was 56 signers, and, and, and when they signed the Declaration of Independence, there's these 56 words that uh, some law, law schools are actually having their students repeat because a lot of people are growing up, they've never read the Declaration of Independence. They've, they've, never read, they've never read the Constitution. They don't know what the Bill of Rights are, right? They, 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 they didn't watch Schoolhouse Rock like you and I did, right? You know, they, they didn't have that, the Bill of Rights, right? You know, they, they didn't have that. The Declaration, of these 56 words help to frame out who we are. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of whom? The governed, from us, from you and I. That's why we need lawful elections and the fight against voter fraud is critical and real. And historians have documented that every single right that was set forth in the Declaration of Independence had actually been preached from the pulpit, from some of those men that John Adams listed, all of, the, all of those different pieces where they actually can go back through and they look, and these, these are cliff notes from messages of key pulpits that were preached up until 1763. They can go back 20 years of messages from all these pastors. They're like, 
this looks like the Declaration of Independence. And it does. This is where these guys came. So the preachers of righteousness inspired faith and hope into the freedom fighters that they could finally take a stand and do something with the freedoms that they've been given. And they were armed with that faith and that hope. The Declaration is just the cliff notes of all of those sermons. That's why it's so important that pastors and Christians, you and I, that we stand up, that you know, some people have taken a back seat and they, they, they read, love thy neighbor as be silent. No, because I love my neighbor, I'm gonna speak up. Because I care about life, I'm gonna speak up, right? If I see you about to drive off, to, off, off a cliff, I would be an idiot if I didn't call the cops or try to swerve and get in your way and say, don't turn, turn away from here, right? That's what we do with the gospel. There's people that are on a one-way track and they're going straight to hell if God doesn't intervene and we're jumping in front of them with an ambulance saying, hey, get in here. Jesus saves, he loves you, he cares for you, he wants to transform your life. So there was 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. 29 of them held Bible college or seminary degrees. 29 of the 56. How many people in our halls of government even know the Bible, even understand it, or even took one Bible class? And the Bible was the foundation for our entire nation. So these guys all get together to sign the Declaration of Independence. Before they do, go, you gotta go back a couple years to September of 1774. They have the first Continental Congress. 1774, they all get together in that September. They meet September 6th, they meet there that night. They take roll call, and the next morning on September 7th, they begin their first time gathering together with prayer. Prayer. And it wasn't some little dinky 30-second prayer. It was a two-hour prayer meeting. The first act of Congress when they got together, you got the guys from Virginia meeting the people from Massachusetts and Rhode Island and et cetera, et cetera. They're meeting each other for the first time. Many of them have only gone back and forth with letters. They've never actually seen each other face to face. And so here they are meeting for the first time. They get together, they take roll, and then they say, hey, tomorrow morning when we meet, we're gonna meet, we're gonna have prayer time. They said, yes, we do it. And they all got together and they prayed. Not only did they pray, they studied four chapters of scripture. Four chapters of scripture. So they prayed for two hours. They studied the Bible, or studied the Bible for, they started four, studied four chapters out of the scriptures, out of the Holy Bible. And then from that, they begin to write out these rhema words from God that God was giving them. And there was faith that sprung up on the inside of them. And uh, John Adams wrote to his wife and he said, honey, for the first time, I actually think that we have the ability to overthrow the greatest superpower in the entire world. He wrote to his wife and he said, Abigail, you wouldn't believe it. I believe that we can actually do this. It's a good reminder that you gotta read the Logos, Word of God, until you get the Rhema, Word of God. When you read the Logos, the written Word of God, and get in your Word every single day, the Word of God begins to read you. And if you wanna walk in the light and you wanna walk in the truth, getting the Word in you every single day, it, man, it gets on you. Some would say, well, sometimes I read the Word and I don't remember what it said. Same with me. I, I, I had breakfast a week ago, it nourished my body, but I can't tell you what I ate. But it nourished my body. You won't remember everything you read, but it's gonna nourish your soul. It's gonna feed you. Read the rhema, Logos until you get the rhema, and the word will be a light to your path. Jesus said, 
said, build your life what? On the rock. You're a wise builder, right? So John Adams tells his wife, he tells her all these different things, and he tells her specifically to read Psalms 35, which I'm not going to go into now, but I'd encourage you, if you want to have a good read tonight, take a look at what John Adams and what the, what the, uh, the signers of the Declaration of Independence read on that day when they felt the rainbow word of God come alive in their spirit. Read Psalms 35. John Adams writes to his wife, and he says, Abigail, you got to read this. Have your dad read it. Tell all of our friends and family to read it. Uh, circulate it at the friends and people at the church. Tell them to read Psalms 35. This is what we're reading. It, this is, we really believe that we might have a shot at overthrowing this government. And then they, not only did they pray, not only did they read four chapters of scripture, not only did they get a rhema word from God, they actually decide, hey, we're gonna break and go away, but when we do, let's call the nation to a holy fast and see what God might do. And John, John Adams writes to his wife, Abigail, he said, hey, honey, we've instituted a continental fast. And he said, can you imagine, Abigail, millions of people will be upon their knees at once before their great creator, imploring his forgiveness and blessings, his smiles on American counsel and arms. Can you imagine what would happen if three million people fasted and prayed, got on their knees, seeking the face of God? Three million people. Now, mind you, this is one of 15 times that Congress called the American people to prayer and fasting during the American Revolution. 15 times. And four to five months later, they got back together. After the, after the holidays, they got back together, and they were so blown away by all the blessings of God. The guys in Virginia were sharing, this is what's happening, and people in Boston are sharing, this is what's happening, and people over, and they're like, we got we to gotta have a time of, of prayer and thanksgiving. So they instituted a time of prayer and thanksgiving. And they came together and they had a party. And that's where you and I get our thanksgiving holiday from. They actually created that as a holy day in response to all the blessings that God has placed in their life. And so they got together and they said, we need to have time of thanksgiving. Four to five months later, they would get together again. They go, oh man, it's actually gotten rough. It's pretty difficult. I think we need to fast again. They'd call the nation back to a fast. They would go back and forth. And through the years, from that moment of, of their first meeting in 1774, by the time you get to 1815 in our history, there were over 1,400 government calls to prayer and fasting. 1,400 times the government called the nation to prayer and fasting. America was founded on the word of God on prayer and on fasting. By the way, that's not a foundation for your life. It's not a bad foundation for your marriage or your business or your family. Prayer, fasting, the word of God. George Washington wrote to Thomas uh, Nelson, one of his generals, and he said that after the battle they've fought and now they've seen God work on their behalf, he said that you would have to be wicked not to believe that the hand of God helped us. George Washington wrote that in a letter to one of his generals. He said, you would, we have seen God's hand so many times, you would have to be wicked not to think that he fought for us. Even in our great state, the state of California, the state of California, if you take a look at the Constitution of the state of California that was signed in 1879, it says this. It says, we the people of the state of California, grateful to Almighty God for our freedom in order to secure and perpetuate its blessings, do establish this Constitution. That's your state. That's my state. That's our state. We need more of that spirit in the halls of our government right now <laughs> rather than the spirit of Antichrist that seems to dwell there. Second Chronicles 7.14, I like how it reads in the NASB. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their 
wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. God is saying my people. He's not saying all of them. If all of them out there that aren't my people, that are just really their actions are par for the course with the life that they've lived, with what they've seen, with what they've experienced. That's why Jesus can walk in just such love and grace and mercy because he doesn't see them like that. He sees them how they were when they were formed in their mother's womb. And God says, if my people, that's you, that's me, it's a church who are called by my name, if we would come together, if we would humble ourselves, the opposite of, of humility is pride. Okay, Pride says, I can do it all. The greatest form of pride is a prayerless life because you're thinking you can do it all on your own. But I'm not going to lean on my own understanding in all my ways I'm going to acknowledge him, right? When we come together, when we pray, he said, if you're going to do that, if you'll do that, you'll come together, you'll humble yourselves, you'll pray, I'm going to hear, I'm going to heal, I'm going to forgive, and then there, there's just going to be healing that comes. And so I want to encourage you, I'm imploring you, come out to prayer this Wednesday. We're going to get together. It is going to be more of a prayer meeting. It's fun to get together and sing and worship, and we will worship, and we will praise God, but we are going to get into the thick of it. We are going to pray, and if you don't know how to pray, you know how I learned how to pray? I got around people that knew how to pray. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I would like, I'd hear somebody open their mouth, and I'd be like, dang, I want to pray like that guy, you know what I mean? Get around people that know how to pray. Get around people who it's comfortable in, right? You want to have a good marriage? Get around people that have good marriages, Right? You want to be smart in business? Get around people who are good in business. You want to grow in your prayer life? Get around people that have an on-fire prayer life. Man, that fire will touch your spirit, and you'll be on fire as well. So pursuit night this Wednesday, 7 o'clock. There's the APB, all right? And at Authentic Church, you know, we, we have it on our culture card. We talked about it this morning. Every, every time that we gather with the team prior to service, we always go over our culture card because culture, uh, you don't just, like, talk about it one time. It's something that you're constantly building and uh, on our culture card, one of our unique attributes, what we call our authentic attributes, is prayer. And it says, we believe prayer is the catalyst for everything. We are a house of prayer committed to seeking his face, heart, and will. Through prayer, we discover nothing is beyond his reach, declaring the things on earth as they are in heaven with passionate fervency and humble devotion. So I encourage you to join us and come out for prayer this Wednesday. John Quincy Adams was uh, talking about the Declaration of Independence and some of the first signers, and, and he had some thoughts to say. He said, the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon the earth and laid the cornerstone of human government on the first precepts of Christianity. And, and it was, the 4th of July wasn't a time to like have barbecue, right? The 4th of, Di 4th of July for them, it was literally a holy day. It's a holiday. That's where you get the word holiday from. It was a holy day. It was a day that they set aside at holy. At that time, there was Christmas and then there was the 4th of July, Independence Day. Those were the two holy days. In Christmas, they celebrated the birth of Christ and, and, and God coming to the world. And then on the 4th of July, they celebrated the principles of heaven coming into a nation. Holy day. So I just want to encourage you tomorrow 
as you celebrate, as you blow stuff up. Little reminder, no matter what Katy Perry says, baby, you're not a firework, all right? So be careful. But I want to remind you, it's a holy day. And I encourage you, have a moment, take a moment, read about the rich history that we have in our nation. Thank Almighty God that you've been born here. You could have been born anywhere in the world. And you were born in America. You got, you got the lotto ticket. You don't need to play lotto. You, you already won. You won. This is the greatest nation ever because it's been founded. It's not some happy accident. Our nation's different because it, was, it has a different foundation. I'm going to have Sarah come up and just play for a little bit while we land the plane here. Jesus said in Luke 10, 19, he said, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. I just want to encourage you today, be bold. Let freedom ring. Ring it out. Get excited about what God's doing on the earth. Be a voice. Don't be mean. Don't be rude. But be a voice. Stand up. Stand for your convictions. You've been given authority and you've been commissioned by Almighty God. You have, a, you have a power and authority over the enemy. Jesus said so. He said, hey, I, I've gotten it all back. And I'm giving that authority to you as my followers, as believers. So walk in it. Be good stewards of what God's given us. Amen? America's not some happy accident. Neither are you and neither is this church. Going back to Matthew 7, 24, it says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's build our lives on him. Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your kindness, God. We thank you for your presence in this place today. Jesus, you really are the difference maker. Thank you for changing so many lives in this room. Thank you for changing our lives and setting our feet on a rock to stand. Thank you, Lord. God, we just give you praise today. We give you praise and thanks, God. God, we're grateful even with all of her ugliness and bruises and black eyes through history. God, thank you for what you've done in America. Thank you for what you've done in our nation. Thank you, Lord God, for what you've done. Through frail people, you still moved. And we're asking you to move again. We're asking, Lord God, for a fresh revelation of the things of you to move through our government, through move through political and civic leaders, God, in Jesus' name. We pray for righteous people to be put into places of authority that would put in righteous laws. Lord, I pray that you would have mercy on our nation. God, have mercy on your church, on the Church of America. Have mercy on California, God. Have mercy, Lord God. God, have mercy on us, God. God, we're asking you, forgive us our sins. God, we turn from wickedness. We turn from idolatry. We turn from sin. We turn away from the things that try to pull us away from you. God, we just turn back to you today. God, we just ask you to come and heal our land. 
ask you to come and heal our land, God. For more information on Authentic Church, visit us online at AuthenticOC.com.